to be the passion of my church. I want the righteousness of God to be a holy flame that burns. Man, I'm like, ugh. Like, that's crazy to think about. That's crazy. And y'all are like, that's cool. But man, your counselors, they just are like freaking out inside. They're like, yeah, we want that. And man, I'm telling you what, you don't even know the impact that you could have in your school, in your community, and in your church if you took nothing away from this week but that course and said, I want that to be a reality in my life. Man, and I believe that God can do it and that he is doing it in your life this week. And so I'm praying for that this week. Your counselors are praying for that this week. And we're excited to see what happens in the next generation because of young people like you. Uh, I have a confession to make. Uh, last night I used an illustration with Lord of the Rings. And I realized somebody came up to me later this afternoon and they said that I was wrong and they were right. They were, they were right. Turns out the, the magic ring, the one ring to rule them all, it doesn't just make you invisible. It actually enhances your natural ability. So hobbits, they're sneaky. So that's why it, you get it. Okay. Just wanted to clear the slate. So if you're a fellow nerd out there like me, I just want to say I'm sorry. I got it wrong. My bad. Okay. Got to get these things right. Uh, but if you have your Bible with you, open up uh, and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and you just need to know, I could not be more excited to share the truth of this passage because it is the greatest message that I have ever had the privilege of sharing. In these verses, we're going to see a truth that is just absolutely life-changing. It's so simple, and yet it is life-changing. And so 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be, uh, and I'm excited to dive into Scripture with you tonight. Before we do that, let's open up in a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll look at the text this evening. Lord, you really are so worthy of all of our praise, and it's hard to sing words like, let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns, and Lord, we desire that. We want that to be true of our hearts. We want to believe that even more than we do. And so we confess that, Lord, we sing these words and we, in our hearts, want them to, to be true of us, but we fall so short. And so, Lord, thank you for moments like camp where we get to come back around your word and we just get to see what, tr what Scripture says to us. We get to preach and be reminded of truth to ourselves. We get to have fellowship with other believers and be able to dive in and see what is true of God and, and just be reminded and spurred on to, to pursue what we know is true and what we want to believe more. And so, Lord, uh, thank you for these moments. Thank you for these opportunities. Thank you for Scripture, which teaches us what's true about you. And I pray that as we dive in tonight, that you'd use it in our hearts and life to make us more like Jesus. But I pray that you'd change our hearts. I can't do that. I can't make that a reality. Lord, only your spirit can do that. And so I pray that you would change us from the inside out and that you'd make us more like Jesus as a result of the time that we spend tonight in your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this afternoon, uh, Rachel and I, we went on the zip line. And going on the zip line, I don't know if maybe this is your first time going on the zip line this week. For some of you, that might be true. Maybe you've gone a hundred different times. But I remember 
growing up, when the zip line first became a thing, there was a phrase that got thrown around a lot. And I don't know if it's true or not, so I'm going to throw it out there and you can debate between your neighbor maybe later uh, whether this is true or if it's just urban legend. But the phrase that got thrown around all the time is, it can hold a tractor. It's probably true or it wouldn't, it started somewhere, right? And so that was the phrase I remember hearing all the time. Don't worry, this baby can hold a tractor, right? And so you hear that. And it's interesting because as you're up there, what we know cognitively oftentimes becomes a little bit shaky, right? We're like, yeah, baby, I can hold a John Deere. We got it. But then I get up here and I'm like, or maybe not, right? So I love the zip line. So that's not maybe something that, that I've worried about, probably because I just don't care. I'd be like, yeah, either way. But for some of you this week, you got up there and you know mentally, you're like, yes, that baby can hold a tractor. You get up here and you're wondering if it can hold a ping pong ball, right? <laughs> you're like, I don't know, it's a long way down. And I, I will give you this, when you look down, isn't that trippy? You're like, eh. And so what you know mentally, you start to maybe question. And it's funny, if, I don't know if you've done this, but if you go up on top of the zip line while people are encouraging someone who's maybe a little bit more timid to jump off, it's funny, after about 15 minutes of really solid encouragement, it starts turning and sounding a little bit like public shaming, doesn't it? (laughs) So what started out as, Susie, you can do it, we know you got this, right? Turns into, come on, Susie, my brother did this at Family One, and if he can do it, I know you can do it. Did I mention he was three? (laughs) Right? And it's like, thanks. Not helpful. But what we know mentally oftentimes is betrayed when we go to live it out, right? And the truth of the matter is that in our text tonight, John has one big idea that he wants to communicate to you and that he wants to communicate to me. You ready? The big idea that John wants to communicate, the message that John is trying to get across to us tonight is you are loved. You are loved. And for some of you here tonight, maybe you come from a family where that doesn't feel like it's true. Or maybe your parents haven't always done the greatest job of demonstrating that to you or the people in your life maybe just don't act like they care. But I want you to know tonight that you are loved. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who leads forth the stars, who causes the sun to rise each morning and holds the universe together by the word of his power. He knows your name. He cherishes you. And he loves you deeply. He does. And yet many of us here this evening, myself included, would get that right on a quiz. If somebody were to say, does, does God love you? Are you loved by God? We'd get it right on a quiz. But somewhere along the line, there's a disconnect. There's a struggle to believe it the way that John teaches it, right? There's a disconnect, and, and my actions oftentimes betray me. So just like I can be up on the zip line, I know that thing holds a tractor. 
then my knees start wobbling. I can know mentally and cognitively I'm loved by the creator of the universe. But then when I go to live my life, I don't demonstrate it, and my actions actually betray that there's a disconnect somewhere, that I don't always believe it the way that I wish that I did. And look with me at verse 16, what John says in chapter 4. He says this. He says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And throughout these verses, that's John's desire, that you would come to know and to believe the love that God has for you. And there are two characteristics, two things that he is going to show us throughout these verses, and they're kind of all over. We're going to jump around and kind of point these out as we go, because it's just a theme throughout these verses. But there's two characteristics of somebody who is not only knows mentally, but believes deep down, knows deep down that they are loved and cherished by God. And the first one is this, that a believer who knows they are loved by God is without fear. And so look with me at verse 16, 17, and 18. 1 John 4, 16, 17, and 18, it says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Whoever abides in love abides in God. So that's the idea that we've been seeing all week of abiding in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence before the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then look what he says in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so there's so much truth packed into these verses. It's like you could diagram it and it'd be all crazy. There's so much truth packed into these verses. But what John's basically trying to say is this, that knowing and believing the love that God has for us, so knowing and believing leads to abiding in God's love. That when I know and believe that God loves me, I'm going to abide in that love, which leads to his love being perfected inside of me, which leads to a fearlessness. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In these verses specifically, they're talking about future judgment, that if I know that I'm loved by God, I don't have to fear future judgment. That when that day comes and I stand before the Lord, I can stand there in confidence because I know that I have a Savior who died for me and took my place. That I don't have to worry about what God thinks because he loves me. But man, what I think is so crazy is if I don't have to fear future judgment because I know what the creator of the universe thinks about me, why would I worry about what my peers think about me? Why would I spend my life anxious and worried about what those around me think? I already know that I'm loved by the creator of the universe. And so when you know and you believe that God loves you, it leads to a life of fearlessness. That when we believe that, we don't spend a lot of time and energy worrying about the future, right? I'm guilty of that. It's like, what are we going to do next week? What needs to happen here? What are we going to use this or that for? How are we going to plan for this? Do we have groceries in the fridge, right? Like, there's all these things that we plan about and maybe are anxious about for the future. That oftentimes we spend time worrying about what other people think around us. We're kind of anxious about that. Maybe you're fearful for what college is going to bring or what this next semester is going to bring. Maybe you look at the news and you think, man, this world is a mess. 
and that causes anxiety in your heart. For me, the way that this plays itself out most practically and almost every day is that I just spend time reviewing conversations, right, that I've had with people. So you have a conversation with somebody and you think, man, I wish I would have said that differently. Man, I wish I would have said this. And you begin to replay it, right? And you start playing up this situation in your mind where it's like, you become anxious almost of like, man, I wish I would have said that differently. Man, I could have done this differently. You begin to nitpick, right? That's just another way that fear demonstrates itself because I'm not realizing and remembering that God loves me deeply. And so there's a fear, there's an anxiety about what other people think. But I love what he says here in verse 17 again. He says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence before the day of judgment. And so believers who know and believe deeply that God loves them, they're without fear. They don't live in anxiety. They don't live constantly wondering about the next thing. They live with a confidence because their God loves them and it changes the way that they live. But there's another thing that believers who know they're loved by God do, and that's that they love other people, right? So believers who know that they are loved by God, they're without fear, but they also love other people. Look with me at verses seven through eight, what he says. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love And so people who know they are loved, they love one another, not because they're afraid they're going to lose brownie points with God, right? It's not like, well, I better love or he's going to smack me. No, they love because God first loved them, and they're just wanting to follow Christ in that way. And he says, let us love one another because God is love. The evidence that I am born of God and that I understand God's love is that I love other people. And in verses 9 through 10, he's going to explain what that looks like, but I want you to jump down to verses 11 and 12 and look at what he says. It says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, if I understand the love that God has for me, I'm going to go love other people. That the way that the world and that your friends and that your family and that your neighbors are going to know the love that God has for them is when you love them. And man, for some people in your sphere of influence, the only way that they're going to know the love of God is if you're the one that initiates loving them first, right? And so the, the evidence that I understand God's love is that I take that to other people, right? The gospel doesn't stop with you, that God's love doesn't stop with us, and we need to take that to our neighbors and to the people around us. And the evidence that I know and understand the love that God has for me is that I'm taking it to other people, that I'm loving the people around us. In verse 19, look with me, jump down, because he keeps hitting on this idea. Verse 19, he says this, we love because he first loved us. So there's that idea again. And then in verses 20 and 21, he says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, does not, he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And so John just keeps hammering this idea that if I know the love of God, I'm going to live in that love. That if I can't love my brother, how would I love God, whom I can't even see? And so he just keeps going down this idea, and he comes back to this theme over and over and over, that the two evidences that I know and understand the love of God is that I live without fear and that I love other people. 
And man, for some of you, that is a hard thing to, to walk out practically because you've been stabbed in the back by your friends. People have treated you poorly. And you think, do I really have to love these people? Is that really what God's calling me to? And I don't want to minimize the difficulty of walking by faith, of, of doing what God has called you to do, because that is a hard thing. There are moments in my life where it's like the last, where your, your heart just wrestles against that, because you're like, Lord, have you really called me to love this person? Right? Because they're annoying. They drive you nuts. They're just downright mean. But what's so awesome is in those moments, you and I have the opportunity of being more like Christ than ever before because we get to, when suffering, walk in a way that loves people. We get to pray for our enemies and, and bless those who curse us that Jesus, when he suffered and when he was sinned against, he loved people back. So man, you're never gonna be more like Jesus than when you're walking through suffering, when you're loving people who don't love you. And so yes, even in those moments when it's hard, when it's difficult, God's called us to love other people and to love them regardless of what we get back in return. It's not easy all the time, but man, it's a privilege and a joy to be able to walk in that. And so the test of whether or not you and I truly believe that we're loved by God is, do we love other people? Do we live with anxiety? Or do we find it hard to love people? Do we have hateful attitudes and live in, in fear. And so I remember when I first started lead climbing. So you're like, what's lead climbing? Lead climbing is just like regular rock climbing, except you start with all your rope on the bottom. You're like, what good does it do down there? I know, it's exactly how I feel when I started lead climbing. Well, anyway, you start lead climbing and you clip in as you go. So basically, let me just break it down for you. You don't have to understand anything except instead of falling one or two feet when you fall climbing, you end up falling like 10 to 15, okay? Kind of putting the pieces together. So you're climbing, climbing, climbing. You slip and it's not, well, it is actually scary. It's not dangerous unless you hit the ground, which is not fun. I've never done it before. I hope I never do it again. Or ever, I should say, not again, but hope I never do that. <laughs> but I started lead climbing, and mentally I knew that the rope was going to hold me up. I knew that the carabiners that I'm clipping in are good to go. I knew that my belayer was strong enough to hold me up. They could keep me like fastened to the wall when I fell. I knew all of those things. But man, I start clipping one. And then you clip to number two. And number two is the scary one because if you fall at that point, you probably will hit the ground. It's just a thing about rock climbing and physics and stuff. And so basically don't miss number two. Okay, so you're clipping number one, you get to number two and you're like, oh, and my leg started, they call it Elvis leg. I don't know why I'd never watched Elvis, but I think it has something to do with like something weird going on that he did. But your leg starts shaking up and down. It's also called sewing machine leg, which that's a little bit of a graphic. And so my legs start doing this thing and I'm like, they, ah, you know, and you can't hold your leg down because you're on the wall and your breathing starts getting faster. And all of a sudden your mouth is all dry and your arms are like, Ugh. and so I know that that rope is going to hold me up. I know that my belayer is strong enough to keep me up. I know that those carabiners are going to hold. And truthfully, most of the time, I'd climbed the route before, and I knew that I could clip bolt number two without hitting the ground. But my legs still did the Elvis thing and made it look like I was a sewing machine. Why? Because my actions betrayed what I believe. That deep down, somewhere in my heart, there was a disconnect. Not to over, but there was a disconnect between what I knew cognitively and what I believed. 
And so John, in these verses, he's trying to communicate to us very, 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 very clearly that you and I are loved deeply by God. And if I were to ask every person in this room, we'd say, yes, I get it. But for many of us, there's a disconnect, right? That we don't live fearlessly, that we live in anxiety. We're fearful of the future. We're fearful of what others think. For many of us, there's prejudices in our heart where we're not loving people the way that we should. And our hearts keep us from loving people like we know that we ought to. Too often, we look out for our own interests rather than the interests of others. And we would probably not like to admit it, but we spend a lot of time living in that world where I'm looking out for my own interests. I'm not loving people. Where I'm anxious. I'm not fearless. So why do I care so much what other people think? Why do I end up being slow to love? Probably because we want to be valued, accepted, and loved, right? We want to live where we know that we're valued, accepted, and loved because we don't believe that we already are. So it causes me to be selfish. It causes me to live in fear. I want to be valued, loved, and accepted because I don't believe that God the Father has already done that. And so what do we do? Maybe you're here this evening, you say, I, I want that. I want to be fearless. I want to walk into a room without having to worry about what other people think or be concerned of what others think of me. I want to be able to turn on the news and not have anxiety well up because I know who holds the future. I want to live that kind of life. Nick, what do, you, what do I have to do to get that? Because I see what John is saying and man, perfect love casts out fear. Give me some of that, Right? Because I want to live in that lane. I want to run in that lane. That sounds awesome. So what do we do? Well, the reality is this, that the subjective emotions that you and I have are the emotions that are always changing in our lives. They burn on the fuel of objective reality. You're like, Nick, that's really weird. What are you saying? You and I have emotions every day, right? They're going up and down. They're doing all kinds of different things, right? And the things that is going to burn or the, the fuel that is going to keep your emotions knowing and believing that God loves you is the objective truth of God's word. Does that make sense? So let me illustrate it this way. Maybe this will help be a good visual for us. For many of us, our love for God or our belief for God's love is often like a match strike, right? We strike it. Burns for a little bit, right? We're like, yes, I know God loves me. And then something happens and it goes out, right? Maybe you're at youth group on Wednesday or Sunday and it's like, oh my goodness, my youth leader just made me know and feel the love of God. And it burns for a little bit, right? It's like, man, I'm feeling that. And then something happens and it goes out. Or maybe you're at camp, and honestly, I would say camp has been such a huge impact in my life, we're doing two matches, right? And you know, and you believe that God loves you. And then after a while, it goes out, and you're like, man, how do I keep that from happening? What's wrong with me? Like, I, like what's the issue? Why is my love and my emotion not just burning and, and continuing to flame over and over? What do I have to do to get that? Well, the subjective the subjective emotions, the things that are always changing, it has to have a fuel, right? This match can burn for a bit, but after a while, it's going to go out. It has to have a fuel. Oh, boy. 
And so if I wanna keep a flame going, if I want emotion to keep going, to keep burning, to keep believing that deeply inside of me, I have to have something that that's like burning on. That has to have fuel to keep it sustained. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine, they're putting it up right now. It's so cool. I love watching them put up this bonfire, right? The thing that gets that flame just going so you can feel it from so far away, right? Is the fact that it has fuel. It has something that's keeping it burning, right? And so the objective fuel, the thing that's gonna keep that flame burning in you is the objective truth of God's word. It's when you open up God's word and you see there's a truth that does something to my emotions. There's a truth that causes me to believe things, to know and to understand that I'm loved. If we want to feel loved by God, we need to be able to look at scripture and to know that we are, right? And for many of you, that's why you come to camp and you feel something going on. That's not some sort of weird environment thing that... The reason why you come to camp and feel loved by God is because you're spending every single day studying scripture. You're memorizing verses. We're declaring truth. It's not because it's something different about camp. It's because you're spending time with believers in Christ who know and love Jesus getting in the word and you're away from the distractions of life. And so you say, man, how do I do that? How do I get and capture some of that when I go home? How do I have those desires and those things continue that they're not just something that dies off when I leave youth group or when I leave camp or whatever? How do I keep those burning? We have to be able to look at scripture and to know that we're loved. And so as you look at, whether it's movies or books or whatever, there's really three things that whether it's a movie, like a love story, like a romantic comedy, which is about the only kind of romance that I would ever even begin to watch, right? Go manly things. <laughs> Trying to save my man card by even admitting that I would watch romantic comedy. But the way that you know that somebody loves you, three things, and these are not original with me, but love sends, right? That it pursues, love sacrifices, and love sticks around. Those are not original with me, but, but those are the three things that love does. So example, when I started dating Rachel, and I thought, man, I think I love this girl. A couple things happened. So this is embarrassing to even admit, but I like bought furniture for my apartment. So up until this point, I was living in an apartment. I had a desk, a chair, some like stuff for cooking, a bed that wasn't on a bed stand. It was just on the floor, towels, blankets, barely a shower curtain, right? And when I was like, I think I love her, I'm like, well, this has to change. I need like a couch. <laughs> like she can't just sit on a metal chair at my desk, right? That's awkward. So I bought furniture. I started giving plasma and saving money so that I could buy a ring because like it's the best way to make money ever. I started texting her, writing her letters, all these different things that I initiated and I pursued because I knew that I loved her. But not only does love initiate and, and send, but it sacrifices. So we were watching a movie the other day called 2012. It's this weird movie about the end of the world. Basically, the Mayans were right, and the end of the world happened in 2012. We know that's not true, but at the end of the movie, all of the water, it's basically like Noah's Ark meets like some dystopian novel, but all the water's convulging on this one place in China, and there's this old grandpa, 
and the, the ark doors are closing. It's kind of like a very modern version of Noah's ark. They're going up like this. And this grandpa, he has to make a decision. And he chucks his grandkids up to the ark. And the last thing you see of him is he's like falling into the water, which is like really creepy. And, but he makes a decision, right? I love my grandsons, so I'm going to sacrifice for them. One of the first ways that I, reasons I knew that I loved Rachel was because I was willing to sacrifice things like time energy, and money, that I was willing to drop things just like that to go spend time with her to do nothing, right? You're like, weird. Yeah, wait till you know. Like, you're like, why would I ever do that? I got Netflix. Well, good news for you. You're going to meet a girl, and she's going to be awesome, and you're going to love her, and you're going to do the same thing, right? But love sacrifices. But not only that, love stays, that you know that the people who you respect in your life, that you say, man, I want to love like that, are the people that have stayed around for the long haul. They're living life, and they're not going anywhere. They don't peace out the moment things get hard. They stick around. And so what does love do? Love pursues, love sacrifices, and love doesn't lead. Look with me at 1 John 4, 9. It says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, so something happened that made God's love evident to everybody. Something took place that there could be no doubt that God loves us. It says the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world. How do you know God loves you? He pursues you. God loves you and he loves me so much that he sent the most precious thing he could give. There is nothing greater that God could do that he could give than to send his only son there's no greater gift for God to give. There's no greater affection or action that he could take. Jesus is exhibit A of God's love for you and his love for me. Jesus was both the message and the messenger of God's love. So you say, how do I know that I'm loved? God pursued you. He sent his son Jesus to take the penalty for your sin. But notice it goes on. Look with me at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a big word that means wrath-removing sacrifice. And so the, the reality is that only perfect people can live in the presence of a perfect God, and you and I are not perfect. We deserve God's wrath apart from Christ, but Christ came and he took that wrath. He is the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sin. And so Jesus comes and he sacrifices his life and he rises from the dead so that you and I can have a relationship with God. There is no greater thing that God can do to demonstrate his love. And so God sends his son, Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. But then look down at verse 12. Look down at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And so not only did God send his son, he initiated. Not only did he sacrifice, Jesus gave his life for you and for me. But he doesn't go anywhere. He says that when I leave, I'm gonna send my spirit and he's gonna stay with you and he's gonna help you walk on the path that he's called us to. 
When you place your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God who is God comes and lives in you. And so God the Father pursued you. Jesus sacrificed for you and the Spirit stays with you. There is no greater evidence that you and I could look to to know that we're loved than what happened on the cross. So you say, man, I just want to know that I'm loved. Look to the cross. Look to the cross because there we see the Son of God giving his life for us that we can have a relationship with God. And so what do we do? Well, for some of you here this evening, you've heard that message throughout the week. And for you, you need to place your faith in Jesus. You need to to confess your sins and to run to Christ and, and accept the love and the sacrifice that he made for you. For others, you're a believer, and yet you say, man, I want to know and I want to believe the love that God has for me more. And so I would just encourage you to think through this. Do you know the truth that God loves you? So have you taken the time to study his word, to read scripture and say, I know that he loves me? Have you prayed and have you asked him to help you believe it deeply? This week has been so fun. John has been giving us incredible resources to take and to start applying these things into our lives in in amazing ways. And then number three, you need to meditate on that truth. Take some time just soaking in these truths. And then you move, right? So the gospel doesn't stop with us. That we spend time studying scripture and we say, what does it say about God's love? We pray and we say, Lord, help me to believe it because I'm weak and broken and I don't always believe it the way that I should. Then we meditate on it. We, we go over it time and time again, but then we move. The gospel doesn't stop with us. And we say, if I've been loved this way, my neighbors need to know about it. If I've been loved this way, my parents need to know about it. If I've been loved this way, my friends at school need to know about it. And we move. And man, I cannot wait to see what God does with a group of young people like this who believe and know that they are loved by God. And because of that fact, they are fearless for him and they love people like no one else because they rest and are resting deeply in the love that they have from the Father. I want that from you, and I'm so excited to see what God does in your life and through your life as you embrace those realities. Let's pray. God, you're good. Forgive us sometimes for not believing that you love us the way that we should. There are so many times where I'm worried and fearful of what people will think because I don't believe the truth that you love me and that there's nothing I could do to earn your love more. And so God, we all wrestle with this. We all struggle to believe this the way that we should. But God, thank you for Jesus. And Lord, there's no greater example of your love for us than the cross. And so thank you for sending Christ to take the punishment for our sins and for my sins so we can have a relationship with you and experience lasting and abiding joy in fellowship with you, Lord. Help us to sing loud because of those truths. Help us to respond in a way that that would make you look glorious as we leave this camp this week. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.